0: We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You'll find our text for consideration on page 9 in your worship bulletin if you'd like to follow along today. It was another game of pretend Nerf football. The little boy on the living room couch as imagined crowd noise screams touchdown in his head. He spikes the ball into the turf of the living room shag carpet. He flexes like his favorite player, always having a blast. And you can see it on his face, that smile as he's juking around the furniture and shrugging off the pillow's tackles. That is until it all goes wrong. One overthrown self-toss of that Nerf ball sends the living room lamp by the couch wobbling and then tumbling off its stand and smashed on the floor. The joy dissolves, replaced by shock, fear, worry. Those tears begin their uninvited flood down his cheeks. He knew he wasn't supposed to be doing this, but... He didn't think it would lead to this. He he didn't think he'd actually break something. And then the daunting thought crosses his mind. What impending doom is coming when dad finds out? And he already has. The approaching footsteps send chills down his spine. It's his fault and he knows it. He's going to have to face the punishment. Dad turns the corner to meet his son's crumpled, gloomy figure. And he can't even look at his father, so ashamed. He tries to choke out a heartfelt, I'm sorry. But only unintelligible babbles can be heard through the tears. Son, his father said, it's okay. There's no need to cry. There's no punishment. What? How could this be? It was my fault. he, He knew he wasn't supposed to be doing this. See how he's changed in an instant. Just like that, those tear stains still on his face, now joy fills his face. That smile starts to come back through a few sniffles, and he runs and embraces his father and buries those last tears into his clothes. He is free, so unexpectedly free from punishment. Have you ever felt like that little boy in the moments after that lamp smashes on the floor, standing there in the middle of his mess? What mess is your sin and mistakes landed you in that leaves us with crippling guilt, anxiety, shame? Maybe it's tear-stained eyes that hide a mind wondering what God thinks of me. And then... We see those thoughts we have about others, the hurt we're capable of causing others. And we might find ourselves saying, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I don't want to do, that's what I do. The, the good I want to do, I don't do. No, the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. If you felt like that, then you felt like the Apostle Paul who wrote those very words I just said in the chapter before our reading today. When he considered his struggle and the muck of that struggle between God's will and his sin, he came to a conclusion that we can all too well relate with. He said, what a wretched man that I am. But it was right there in that struggle. It was right there like that young man coming home to his father after squandering all his wealth with prostitutes. It was right there like that little boy sitting there unable to look at his father because of his shame. And it's right there as Paul wondered who could rescue him from his body of sin and death that Romans 8.1 breaks in like the dawn. Therefore, there is now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No punishment. You can be assured that this is as true for you as it was for Paul. Because you have been baptized. You have heard the word. The Spirit brought life when he worked faith in your hearts. And this does shock us. Because we heard, or we can read two chapters earlier in Romans... That the wages of sin is death. But the verse goes on. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And now we hear in Romans 8, in verse 2, that because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin. That's the controlling power of sin. And free from death. This turns our grief to joy. Our shame to honor. Our guilt to comfort. But you might think, I still struggle. I still feel that controlling power, that pull of sin. And I give in. I know. I'm right there with you. So often we could say with the psalmist in Psalm 130 that if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? And that's just it. We couldn't stand. Not King David, not the Apostle Paul, not you and not me. Certainly not. But the reality is God doesn't keep that record. We sang a version of what David proclaims in Psalm 32. That blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. No record. No condemnation. But how? Well, God knew that we couldn't keep the law on our own. It is powerless in earning salvation for us because we are weak, unable to keep it. But God had an astounding solution. Verse 3 tells us, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. We couldn't do it ourselves. We had to look outside of ourselves. So we look, we look, and we see Jesus. But jump even 33 years earlier than that cross. Galatians 4 tells us that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And he lived 33 years under that law for us. A perfect life. Even as a young boy, he was in the temple learning and teaching about God's word. Even when he was starving in the wilderness, on the verge of death in the Garden of Gethsemane, He refuted and won against the temptations of the devil every time. And he did perfectly what you and I never could. God's will. Always and every time. And he is our perfect substitute. In our place, he lived that law perfectly for us. And so Jesus himself reminds us in Matthew 5, he said Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And fulfill them he did in our place. But you see, Jesus didn't just fulfill the law, but also the prophets. Because, you see, we look at the cross and we see that perfect God-man there hanging there, dying on the tree, who always did God's will. How could that be? Well, it was because of that same loving will of God that he wants you to be saved. He wants all people to be saved. And so that prophecy he fulfilled in Isaiah was that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Our perfect substitute in keeping the law and our perfect substitute even in fulfilling the law's punishment for us. Death. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. That's Jesus' flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We receive the credit. We get to stand before our Heavenly Father on Christ's perfect report card. Us, even us in our struggles. And this brings us great joy and completely changes us. That little boy I mentioned before, when he had broken the lamp and his father came in, he was so ashamed he couldn't even look at his father. But remember how his father's pronouncement of forgiveness and unexpected freedom from punishment completely changed him. He ran to his father, embraced him, and he surely helped him pick up the pieces happily, reflecting his father's love. So how much more are we changed, brothers and sisters, as we have been freed from a much greater punishment, a punishment of death and separation from God. And so this changes us, it gives us a whole new life. So what's that new life all about? Well, Paul shares that with us in verse 5. He writes... Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit, and that's you, have their mind set on what the spirit desires. You see the spirit works in us this brand new mindset that loves God's word and embraces the study of it. He makes us seek opportunities to learn more about God, whether here at church on Sunday or at home, in Bible reading, or in Bible study. And the Holy Spirit strengthens us to strive and empowers us to love, reflecting our Heavenly Father's love for us. He gives us a love for what God commands and His will. And that's loving Him above all things, and loving others as ourselves. Yet, just as Paul is getting into this wonderful result of being freed by Christ and people of the Spirit, he warns us. He reminds us that this isn't a tranquil morning walk in the park here. No, there is a real struggle going on within us. Our sinful nature, that little unbeliever inside of all of us desperately wants to do anything but God's will. But, Verse 6 warns us of where that leads. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And so Paul goes on with this back and forth he started last chapter that us without God were hostile to him, unable to keep his commands, unable to please him. But that's not you. Verse 9 tells us, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And indeed, he does. Paul isn't saying this to put it in doubt. No, he's saying because this is true, you are people of the Spirit. And it is true for you, because you've been baptized. You've been strengthened by the Word of God. You've been assured of forgiveness in the Lord's Supper. Yes, we won't always be pleased with how we've used our freedom to please God. Failure and regret come, and it hurts. But remember that that struggle that Paul talked about in Romans 7 and now here, he was describing the Christian life. He was even describing his own struggle as an apostle for Christ. But a Christian's reality is this. When Christ looks at you, when God looks at you, he sees Christ himself in whom he is well pleased. And even better than that, not only does he see Christ, but Christ is in you. And verse 10 tells us, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. This new life courses through you, empowering you, strengthening you to live your lives with gratitude and joy for God. And even as we fail, we are still embraced, loved, and forgiven. Just as that young man was in Jesus' parable today. This turns, or it's because it's the grace that God gives, not the mess we bring. What Christ has done, not what we've failed to do. So that little boy, in the weeks to follow, because he's changed, and loving his dad for what he's shown him and reflecting that love, he'll probably do even his chores for a bit With added eagerness. But parents, I'm looking at you. Uh, That eagerness to do those chores, it it probably doesn't last very long, does it? (laughs) So how amazing then. That we have something far better than gratitude. As wonderful as that is, and we do have it. But you have real power from the Spirit himself. To go and live your lives as but a humble thank you note. For the fact that Christ has freed us from condemnation. And sure, that thank you note, it's crumpled, torn, and the handwriting's messy. But Christ frees us to write it. And write it in our own unique way. Whether it's as a a parent, a child, a brother, sister, a friend, a colleague, an employee, whatever it may be knowing that just as that dad would love that little note from his son or that little drawing with the stick person holding hands, so ours is pleasing to God. You are pleasing to God. So friends, let's write. Because we sure do have something to thank God for. Christ has freed us from death and freed us to live freely for him. Amen. And now we stand and we pray.